Well, hello, everyone. Greetings to all those watching online or if you're at one of our campuses, Mountain Road, Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen. Hello, my name's Luke. And yes, as some people have noticed, my hair is growing out, which is better than falling out. And I'm starting a boy band, so I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, speaking of starting things, we are starting a new series today, and I'd love to tell you about that. But before that, I want to tell you about something that's coming up very soon this fall that you won't want to miss. Take a look at this. If I was young and had this opportunity to take this course. We would have a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I can really say to get you to understand much peace that I'm living with internally because I've done this and I've taken this journey. Externally, we had everything that you were supposed to have, right? When we started Financial Peace, everything changed. For so many people, finances are a burden. But what if you could experience complete financial freedom? Truly free to use the resources God has given you to fulfill your purpose and do what God designed you to do. We were able to make minimum payments on everything, but not get ahead on anything. And I just didn't have the knowledge, and that's why I was scared at the beginning. That After I got this plan, I was like, okay, I can do this. Let's put it into practice. It just makes sense to talk about the elephant in the room, our money so we can learn biblical best practices, which reveal that it's not all about how much money you have, but how you think about it and what you do with it. God doesn't want us to be frustrated by finances, but to truly be unleashed to make the kind of impact you've always wanted to make. We have more of a freedom to be able to just give when we need to. Give or, more. Yeah, give more, yeah. Your contentment changes. Your peace changes, your generosity changes. My spiritual component has definitely changed. We're excited to, to live like no one else, but we're really excited to give. Yeah. We're really excited to give yeah. more. I want to personally invite you to be part of something special we've never done before that's happening this fall at Mount. We don't often talk about the elephant in the room, but the truth is a bunch of us are drowning in debt or out of control with our spending, or we just feel bad about the state of our finances. Or maybe it's that you don't have a plan for spending or saving or giving. Whatever your financial situation is, this experience this fall is going to be life-changing. Together, we're gonna learn time-tested biblical principles of financial management that have helped millions of people. We're gonna go to school on it with Financial Peace University, and I couldn't be more excited. I know people are gonna have a whole new outlook on life. So for me, FPU was a life changer. Mm -hmm. We got on the same sheet of paper. Yeah, we worked together. So the peace that I wake up with, I go to my job with so much more joy, knowing that I don't have to go to work, I get to go to work. No, just freedom, <laughs> just freedom from it. Hey friends, we know something this good only happens when we work together. So please go to the Mountain website and sign up for an FPU group today. Like do it right now. Because there's an elephant in the room, but you know how you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So we're gonna break down financial issues into bite-sized, biblical, practical pieces that will truly help every single one of us. Don't miss it, friends. FPU this fall at Mountain. Right, there it is. Uh, do you think, has Ben ever eaten an elephant before? Like he knows how to eat an elephant, just giving advice to everybody. Um, I, I do think we're going to get some good advice this, this fall if you're ready for it. And it is. You've got to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. But look, everybody's going to be doing it. So there you go. Everyone you look at is going to kind of have to enter into those maybe uncomfortable situations. But there is 
freedom on the other side of that. There's peace on the other side of that. There's joy on the other side of that if we're willing to follow God into those. So I hope you're ready to do that. Go online and get signed up. All right, I have I've drawn some things in advance today to help us kind of follow along where we're going. We're beginning this new series. It's called Stand, and it's a visit to a short book near the end of your Bible, 1 Peter. Just a small letter, but I'll tell you, it's big time on intensity. And it got me thinking about the Olympics. I don't know if you're watching those. They come to an end this weekend. Um, I think there is an analogy that can be helpful to us. Uh, Think with me about this, all right? If you were coaching up a team of people who were preparing to go to the Olympics, no matter the sport, I would imagine that there would be some common themes that would be coming up in your messaging to your team. As you're trying to frame their perspective and prepare them for this opportunity ahead, you're probably going to be saying things that sound something like this. Remember who you are. Remember where you come from. You're going to represent your country, and that means you're part of something bigger than yourself. And if you're from a country that that has a long tradition of Olympic success, you'd call up that legacy and that that standard that's been set that's come to define what being an Olympian is all about, saying that that model, that expectation now lays claim to you because the the country name is going to be on your chest. You're going to be donning the colors. So there's a responsibility and a privilege of, of carrying that legacy forward. You're going into a foreign place, competing with people from all over the world. So remember who you are. Represent your country well. And representing the country has to do not just with with virtue and character and who you are, but also excellence in what you do. So keep your mind focused. keep, Keep your body pure and keep your skills sharp so that you can be ready. Prepare well. Remain disciplined. You know the hope that we have. What we think we're going toward, we hope that we're going to be standing on top of the podium. So everything that you do now is in anticipation of that moment. Everything you do now is consistent with where you think we're going to end up. You are a select group with a distinct purpose. Now go out there and do what you've been sent to do. Or something along those lines. Okay, there's, there's my practice speech, right? You may not be a sports person or you may not be a competitor at all, and that's fine. Uh, those kinds of things might not get you excited. But it seemed right to try to paint a picture like that because Peter, um, the author of this letter, he's, uh, he, he's speaking kind of like that. He's bringing this kind of intensity, and he's got that kind of vibe going with his audience. And like I said, he, he always kind of had this intensity, and he brings it here, an urgency to people whom he believes really need to hear what he has to say. I mean, he is Peter, after all. So if you don't know him, he was among the most famous of all of those that Jesus invited to follow him when he was on earth. The most noted, most quoted, and he lived with that same kind of verve, and sometimes it got him into trouble. But ultimately, it was his boldness that through the Spirit was the catalyst for the Jesus movement taking off and exploding all over the world. So if there is anyone who should be coaching up other Jesus followers, if there's anyone who has the authority to teach or who knows what it means and what it takes to carry on the legacy of what's come before, it's Peter. So that's who we're dealing with. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down. He's not speaking to Olympians. Not back then. And not now, by the looks of it, here, unless Chase Kalich is in the room somewhere. Gold medals from Falston, congratulations to him. But yeah, this is obvious, okay? Peter, he's not, he's not a coach. He's not addressing athletes, of course. We, we know that. He, does, he doesn't coach sports. But the point here is that even by way of analogy, 
The recipients of this message, they're not on par with some elite group. This is not the cream of the crop. They're not dominant in their field. They're they're nowhere near Olympic level status in any way that anyone cares about. These are people that, well, they're not winning like at life. It's not working out great for them. They're not catching breaks. They're not advancing socially. They don't have influence. They're more just eking out an existence on the fringes of society. It's a persecuted minority. And yeah, it's a faith community, but they weren't exactly superstars when it comes to the faith department either. Real doubts and questions would have been present as they had to try to square their lackluster lot in life with their belief in just victorious Jesus who is supposed to be the king of the world. Like, is that real or not? And shouldn't that make a difference in our situation here or what's going on? Maybe you've asked that kind of question before. And think more about uh, just uh, where, where can you relate to that? Do, do you feel like you're an Olympian? Uh, probably not, of course, athletically, but just do you feel like you're, you're uh, dominant in any sense? Like you're crushing it in life or any aspect of life? Are you among the elite in school or in your career? Some of us, yeah, probably. Are, are you succeeding in relationships or friendships? Exceeding expectations as a parent or a spouse, scoring high marks for thoughtfulness and patience and understanding and promise-keeping. Again, many are, but many probably not. Feeling good, healthy, strong, balanced, confident, like a champion, eating your Wheaties? Or for those of us who are Jesus followers, for those of us who have said that Jesus is the top priority in your life, do you have a top-of-the-podium type faithful commitment to Jesus? Keeping up with Jesus or falling behind or even drifting away? There's some reflection that we could do collectively, too. All that's just this individual, like, what, what do you, uh, what do you think as an as individual person, but as a group then? A group of people who are part of, and I like to say Jesus movement sometimes instead of church, so that you don't think when I say church, you think of a building or an institution, but rather you know it as a community, a movement of people that collectively shares a calling from Jesus, who said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you all. Do we feel like we're succeeding in what we've been sent to do? Now, maybe there are people who are listening in online who are from a part of the world where the the church is growing and poverty is shrinking and evil is being cast out and families are being restored and communities are being reconciled in Jesus' name. But in our cultural setting, it's a little more sobering. Generally speaking, there there are exceptions, but generally speaking, signs and statistics show the church falling behind, diminishing in impact, marginalized in importance, Allegiance to Jesus is not some hot trend, but more and more disdained by more and more people. And the point here is it's not to make everyone feel depressed, okay? It's just to say that this message from Peter, it has has a lot of relevance to us. We can relate to the people that Peter was writing to. Not every detail is the same, but they know and we know what it's like to be trying to hold on to faith when a lot of things are working against you. To feel the pressure to compromise battle temptation, to want to give up, to give in, to feel insignificant or or cast aside or abandoned, whether by God or or, or by the world around you, to to be more acquainted with defeat than with victory, and to even wonder, like, what's the point? (laughs) 
this, is this going anywhere? Is, is God paying attention to the struggle that I have over here in my little corner of the world? Or am I just stuck working it out in some unwinnable game? And I suspect that even people who are winning the game, you know, healthy, wealthy, on top, whatever, I suspect that even they don't always escape doubts and questions about whether they're winning the right game. This is the situation into which Peter speaks. The KG battle-tested veteran believes people need to hear what he has to say. And here is how he begins. Greetings, aliens. Okay, that's not probably the exact translation in your Bible, but uh, NRSV says it this way, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and, and this whole region all over in modern-day Turkey. Okay, that, that word, exiles. He, Peter, he begins and he, he refers to them in that way uh, all throughout the letter, foreigners, strangers, aliens, exiles kind of an odd address, you would think, and, and they might have thought because they'd say, well, hey, we're citizens. We belong here. We got our papers, all right? But I think Peter's doing a couple things in, in talking this way. Number one, he's tapping into an identity that God's people carried for a long time in their history, about 600 years before Jesus showed up. Israel was taken over. Their cities destroyed, king conquered, uh, people deported. They became strangers in a foreign land. And life was never the same again. It never got back to the way that it was before. And as bad as it was, it forced them to learn how to be the people of God in unfamiliar, unfriendly territory. Remember the, the storyline of our last series we just came out of? Okay? These are people through whom God was going to bless the world. They were supposed to build a kingdom that was supposed to be a model to the rest of the world. A city on a hill, a light to the nations to draw all people to God. Uh, light went out, or so it seemed, because, because they're exiled. The, the kingdom was, was toppled. And, and God says, well, that doesn't have to stop my light from shining. That, that doesn't have to thwart my plan. Bloom where you're planted. Bless those around you. Do good. Keep worshiping me. No, you don't have the temple, but I'm still with you. Yes, you're an alien. Well, come in peace. Seek the peace of the city. Read Jeremiah. Read Ezekiel. Yes, you're out among the nations. Be a blessing. And then, too, Peter understands, okay, you, you might be a citizen of whatever country, but as people of faith, we have a, a truer citizenship in a kingdom that it is real right now, but it is not yet fully realized. And the in-between time is both glorious and agonizing. We are exiles in time, you could say. Yes, yes, right now we witness the, the beauty of heaven peeking through the ashes of earth when marriages are saved and sobriety is maintained and bodies are healed and trajectories are changed in Jesus' name. But we also endure pain right now and sickness and death and we are waiting for the day when, when heaven is unleashed fully <laughs> to overcome evil with good and dry every tear and put to death death for good. 
that's when we will truly be at home. Until then, Peter reminds us. We are foreigners right now. Temporary residents, exiles in time. Never too cozy in what's now. Always confident in the hope of what's to come. So, point number one, you're an alien. Right? I don't know if a preacher ever told you that before, but there you go. It's in the Bible. <laughs> the next point is more striking, even. Say the, the alien bit. It's not the only bell that Peter keeps ringing. There, there's something else that you, you just can't not take it away from this letter. And also, it shows up right from the beginning. You continue there in verse 2. To the exiles of the dispersion all over these places who have been chosen and destined by God. God the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So we already know who he's talking to. These are not the people that are getting picked. Not for the Olympics, not for the school board, not for promotions, not for civic leadership. Not for anything that anyone thinks matters. But make no mistake, Peter says, God has picked you. You have been chosen. No, you don't stand out among the crowd, but you stand out to God. The fact that you don't have political power doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. No, no. God works through the Spirit. That Spirit has been given to you, regardless of status. You've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Status doesn't matter. That's a gift. God had you in mind when he gave it. None of these these power plays and threats and persecutions that you're facing, they may keep you out of social circles and seats of honor, but none of that can keep you from the inheritance that God is giving you. Verse 4, it's an inheritance, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's being kept in heaven for you. It's coming to you. That's for anyone who is in Christ. No matter your lot, how many friends you got, you're in a canoe or a yacht, whether you're smoking hot or not, you are a chosen people, he says in chapter 2. God's special possession You may be dismissed or even despised by the world, but you need to know this. You stand out to God. You stand out to God. And Peter's like, I hope that stands out to you. I hope it does for us all. Now, Keep following here. This is not just a generic, you're important message. Peter's going to illustrate what he means, and I've tried to help us uh, illustrate with some of these drawings. These are all things that, that stand out. They're things that you notice when you encounter them. And through Peter, God is trying to communicate, this is what I see when I look at you. When I look at my church, the ones I have chosen to continue my purpose of blessing the world, this is who they are. Chapter 2 and verse 5, you are living stones. The temple that God is building into a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. God doesn't live in buildings. He's chosen to dwell in the midst of his people. Like it says elsewhere in the New Testament, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The the building is animated now, not held down and moored to the foundations, but on the move throughout the world that people would meet God when they encounter us. Think about that the next time you introduce yourself. He goes on. What's more, you are holy priests. And you're thinking, none, none of those words apply to me. 
holy, priest. <laughs> but th- this, this is what God calls us, all of us, not, not just a select office. But God has assembled his church for the purpose of representing God to a world that desperately needs him. We're, we're set apart for that. We're not holy by our own merits, but we are made holy by the blood of Jesus. Not distinguished by our black robes, but by our trust in God and our service to all. And we're not just a holy priesthood, verse 9, a royal priesthood. Again, you're, you're not royalty by the world's standards. Neither am I. Neither were those people. They had no clout, no respect, no armies at their disposal. But God doesn't rule in those ways. God's kingdom advances through sacrifice and obedience and love. And so the the church that that God calls to serve his kingdom purposes, it, it doesn't need pedigree. It doesn't need privilege granted to it by the world in order for God's kingdom to advance. It just requires devotion to the true king. God says, if these people who I have called by my name and chosen as my special possession, if they will choose me in return, then living or dying, succeeding or failing, winning or losing as the world measures it, the influence of my kingdom expands through their witness. I don't care if they're bottom rung. I see them, I know them, and their lives are of royal significance and purpose. Do you believe that about what we're doing here? about what we're a part of together. We're already now, we're starting to round the final turn. Peter's message is finally coming fully into focus. You stand out to God. So, stand out for God. Remember who you are so you can do what you're called to do. Peter's coaching us up. And this is the corner that he turns right here. Just follow him all the way through, all the way around. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I'm urging you as as foreigners and exiles in this world, abstain from sinful desires because they wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is where Christian preaching can start to sound prudish to people who don't have a sense of the bigger picture. This is the Bible laying down standards for behavior, expectations, a code of ethics, making a claim on your life. And Peter, he's building on what he said in, earlier in chapter 1 when he said, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Like, wow, (laughs) that's a high bar. Peter specifies further, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He's talking like being a Christian actually means behaving Christianly. But it's not just about following arbitrary rules. Like, like if someone just told you with no context, hey, pick up these heavy things and then put them down again over and over. Or just run fast really far. Be like, what? No. But if you're an Olympian, well then, of course, that's what you do. No, we're not Olympians. We're not elite. We're not admired by the world at large. At large. But we are a select group with a distinct purpose. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. God has invited us into the very center of his plans to redeem the whole world. We've been sent as foreigners to represent God with the same love and sacrifice and even suffering that Christ demonstrated for us. So we are called to stand out. We're called to stand out in purity. Maybe not a word you hear very often. To be human is to be engaged in a battle with sinful desires. They wage war against your soul, Peter warns. To be holy is to submit that battle to the Lord. And that's really hard, which is why I don't always do it, which is why as a a collective group, the church isn't necessarily known for her purity. And this isn't to pile on guilt or to make anyone, any believer feel scared like, oh, wow, maybe I was sinned in such a way it's so bad that God doesn't like you anymore. No, that, that doesn't seem to be Peter's interest. And also, if, you know, if guilt is emerging and it's driving you to repent from impurity, well, then let guilt do what it needs to do to return you to God. God knows what to do with guilty, repentant people. He handles them with great care. When Peter talks about holiness and, and purity, he's just trying to help us see who we are in God's sight. And the incredible privilege we, we have to, to be sent in God's name. Like like any good coach or parent or leader, he's urging us to be true to our identity and our calling. The world, they can call us trash. We're not. God picked us. We don't need to act trashy. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. The world can shove us down through, through malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. We don't stoop to that level. We don't conform to evil desires. Too much of the world is gripped by evil. We've been set free. God chose us in Christ. We stand out to God, so stand out for God by the purity of your character. That what is in us would not be hidden, but would shine with brilliance to a world that needs to see the goodness of God. For we now are a city on a hill, a light to the world. We are a select group with a distinct purpose to stand out in purity. And 
to stand out in action. Live such good lives among all of those people who think they're better than you and think that you're crazy and a waste of space that even if they are your opponent, they will not be able to say that you play dirty. Not so that you can say that you're better than them, no. That, that your conduct would be above reproach such that anyone who observes your walk and your talk would gain a glimpse of the God you serve and maybe even have the wherewithal to honor him when he comes. Could it be like that with us? You know, the idea of standing out, of course, it has some negative connotations. Uh, you know, we don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. We, we don't want to uh, garner unwanted attention. But it's also kind of become a virtue in our culture in some ways. Like stand out, be different, be an individual. Like those mantras, they fold well into this quest for fame, which is highly valued. Get yourself famous. Be famous for being famous. As long as you're famous and getting lots of likes, we tend to applaud those kind of pursuits. Fame leads to influence, and that's how you get things done in the world. But Peter's not talking to people who are famous. They're of no account. They wield very little power. And he's saying, through you, God's still getting it done. Life's not about getting famous. God already picked you. You already have an inheritance. God has given you purpose to let your life stand out with good deeds and good words in your home, caring for a two-year-old, in your school, through a bold example, in your neighborhood with uncommon love, in hospitals and prisons and shelters and all the places that people don't want to be by showing up in Jesus' name, standing out at work by doing it to the best of your ability. Standing out as a church by spreading God's blessing through everything we do. God is still getting it done in all of those ways because he's not done with us. And that's probably something we need to hear, especially, especially through this pandemic. When, when so much of what we see around us, it looks like defeat. We, we could feel like, like we've lost ground as a church or, or as the church. And maybe we have. I, I don't know fully. But it doesn't change who we are or what we're called to do. To borrow from Paul to say what Peter would echo, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Which reminds us that finally, we are to stand out in hope. And this is a choice to believe what Peter believes. That, that the life example that, that was modeled for us before Jesus, that, that's empty. <laughs> Offering no promise. Even if it leads to momentary pleasure or fame or advancement, not that those things are evil in themselves, but they're just not the source of Peter's hope. So he says, let go of our desires for temporary things and take hold of what's eternal. It's a hope that, that stands out because not everyone does it. So many are slaves to some counterfeit, he who dies with the most toys wins type hope. And the more you let your hope for the renewed world that Jesus promises, dictate your actions in the present moment, just like an Olympian's dream determines what they do and how they train right now, the more you will feel like an alien 
longing for home. As you opt to do crazy, standout things like give rather than take, serve rather than be served, suffer for what's right, bear other people's burdens, forgive those who don't deserve it, love those who don't love you back, and lend to those who will never repay. All in hope that it's worth it. And that is what Peter is trying to say. It's hard, but it's worth it. The world is not yet as God wants it to be. But the wait is worth it. In the meantime, you are a select group with a distinct purpose to demonstrate your hope to the world. You stand out to God. So stand out for God. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the ways that you have demonstrated your love for us, your concern for us, even as we might be people who feel like we're under a rock or under the gun or under so much stress or people who have been beat down. God, even when we feel like we're winning, it doesn't last for long. And all of it just reminds us that we are not at home. We long to be with you. We long to see your kingdom come in all of its fullness. So grateful for the evidences that we have when it breaks through in little ways and we get to see your power at work, to see things healed and restored, signs of hope. Encourage us in our hope today that we may be emboldened to truly stand out, to live out our calling, to live up to our identity as people who you see and who you know and who you have charged with great responsibility. Be your witnesses in the world to shine with a light that is bright, that draws people to you. So use us in that way. We are your church. We are your people. You are building us into something that pleases you and that blesses the world. And we say, have your way with us. Love you, Lord Jesus. We are so thankful that you thought something of us to send your son for our sake, to rescue us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Now let us live with that light, standing out in ways that honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.